0: Well, I'm excited for this week's guest. It's Zach Bird. He became the new coach at the Purdue University women's golf coach after taking over for Devin Browse, who was there over 25 years. Zach, appreciate you spending some time. You're in the middle of qualifying. Thanks for uh, spending a little time with us today.
1: We are. We're out on a, a beautiful Labor Day morning uh, doing some qualifying sorry for the, the wind in the background.
0: No, it's it's Indiana. I grew up there. We expect some wind over there. It's uh, it's the fall. Exactly. you got to have some conditions to get yeah. them ready. But uh, you've kind of hit the road running uh, after taking over earlier this summer. We'll get to that in a moment. But I always like to have our guests uh, kind of give us a little background. I know the background, but a lot of our listeners don't. Tell us what it was like for Zach Bird growing up. Who got you started playing golf? Who were some of your early influences uh, before you headed to college?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we uh, – grew up in north carolina and, and you know went to the golf course to get out of my mom's hair usually my, my dad would take me and and we uh you know i just kind of fell in love with it started whacking it around when i was two years old with cross-handed uh cut down golf clubs and and eventually they moved me to conventional and and doing it the right way and i just kind of took off with it uh, you know i played golf and baseball growing up but golf was was kind of the passion and we switched to golf only about 14 years old when I knew that you know, we couldn't couldn't do both at a high level it would be very hard to do both at a high level so you know really decided I wanted to play college golf and kind of see where the career took me so we uh, we moved down to the myrtle beach area when my father retired uh, back, I guess I was probably 11 years old and it was uh, it was on after that a lot of a lot of junior tournaments and a lot of traveling around the Carolinas, so uh, it, it was fun and, and fortunate enough to get a college scholarship and played at Coastal Carolina University. Went on to play professionally and I just couldn't get away from college golf, so I had to come back and start coaching. So it's, uh, it's been a fun, been a fun road, and, and golf's taken me to some pretty incredible places professionally and now as a college coach. So excited, uh, you know, to get up here and get to work in West Lafayette.
0: Well, a couple of things you said, it was interesting, cross-handed. And you see a lot of kids when they start, because they're looking at their parents or whoever is like in a mirror. So they kind of pick it up cross-handed. Uh, at what age did you kind of go to conventional? You mentioned you kind of switched it over. What age, how long did they let you go cross-handed?
1: I think they it was like probably probably five or six okay. they finally got me convinced. Um, yeah, they, we, we grew up in a very – middle class type area and we go to the municipal course and I think the pro uh, at the municipal course was the one that finally convinced me to go standard Uh, and then after that we got me into playing some tournaments when I was about seven years old so you know it went from just hacking it around to actually trying to take it serious and doing it the right way I did baseball grip until I was about Twelve or thirteen, and I worked with Mike Schroeder as a kid, and Mike was like, "Look, we're gonna have to change that." So that was probably about twelve or thirteen years old, right when I started doing, you know, golf for full time. I I went from baseball grip to to a normal grip, and that that took some time as well.
0: Yeah, how long did it take? Because that's a big deal. Here's a story for you: My wife, who played with the overlap for her whole life, broke her wrist. And she's in her 40s, and she went to Crosshand and wins the state am a month later. I mean, that's a big adjustment.
1: It didn't take me; it took me a lot longer than that. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> well, I figured <laughs> uh, it was a it was a summer uh, of working with Mike constantly, of trying to get it comfortable going from a ten finger to an to an interlock, and you know that that was that was when I was questioning, you know, maybe I need to start playing baseball. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was hard for me. I've got small hands and you know, the baseball grip I'd hit a huge draw and you know, obviously Mike's been around, he knows what he's doing. And he, he was like, look, that's not gonna, that's not going to work when you're trying to play college golf. You got to get, you can't just be the guy that hits the low draw all the time. Um, you know, so Small hands. It took me a little while to get used to it, and it was really weak at the beginning. And I remember it was it was not a lot of fun that first that summer. But then after that, we were we were ready to roll. So
0: it's it funny good. you said that because uh, Allie Ewing, Allie McDonald, who's on the LPG, I think Bob mm-hmm. Estes, uh, they were still baseball grip. Uh, and Kathleen, yeah. my daughter, who played at LSU, who you know, she was baseball grip because of an injury. Right. Uh, you don't see it often, right. and, and I have small hands as well, so I went interlock. But there's a couple players that were pretty good players in their uh, their career. Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods went interlocked, so I guess it was a pretty good choice for you.
1: It was. It was. I definitely started playing a little bit more consistently after that. But uh, we, uh, I fought on the whole way.
0: Oh, I bet. Uh, it definitely,
1: My... definitely, definitely got me to a, a guy that could actually hit a draw and a fade at the same time.
0: Yeah, my dad. I think it was my after my freshman year in college. Says you got to go to overlap. You can't keep using interlock. And I tried it, and I shot eighty-seven, eighty at the Olympic Club in the USM, and it was either I was quitting or I was going back. So it was a kind of a bad move with someone at that age to do it.
1: Right, that's hard. I mean, at least I was young enough that to, to, that you know we could we could get it done in the. I wasn't playing in the U.S. at the time.
0: <laughs> you, you may be the U.S. Junior, but you're not at the Am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Coastal Carolina. You, you played with Dustin Johnson, but you were a good player as well. You all made it to the NCAAs. You're in the Coastal Carolina Hall of Fame. What was that experience like playing college golf? Like you said, you kind of loved baseball, and you kind of wanted to play college golf. You kind of got in there. What was your college experience like? It was good. You know,
1: we, we had a great team. We, we – uh you know, it was, it was kind of the, the first blast of, of great teams at Coastal. And, and you know, we had obviously DJs. You know, he's fairly good. Yeah, he's he pretty decent. Unbelievable. In college, you know, occasionally he'd just wake up and say, you yeah, know, I'm going to win this week by 15. And he'd go <laughs> win by 15. And it was just like it was, it was pretty ridiculous to watch. And then we had, you know, a couple of players that went on and played European Tour, Asian Tour, and then, you know, I played – played 10 years all over the world. And so we had a, a really cool team and uh, you know, we finished fifth at nationals my junior year, but we were top 25 the whole time I was there. So, you know, it was cool to play at a small school and, you know, walk fairways with the big boys. And, and I, you know, I'll never forget. We were walking golden horseshoe. We were up near the lead in nationals my junior year. And people were where we were yelling, go, go chance. And I'm like, well, that's, That's it's shots but we'll (laughs) take what we can get um you know just it was so crazy that we were up there playing and and people actually knew who coastal was so it was really felt like we left a cool legacy there um so it was it was a great experience to go kind of build something there and and uh, you know leave us a legacy which is is something you, you know, you don't often get to do.
0: Yeah. Augusta College did a pretty good, uh, small school there too. Yep. With, uh, they had a pretty yep, good run. Absolutely. That's, that's the beauty of college golf. But when did you start thinking about turning pro?
1: It it was always in my mind. I got injured my, my senior year, um, for my ACL over Thanksgiving break. And it, just kind of clicked after that. Like I, I sat out that whole spring season and I'm like, God, Lord, I missed this. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're traveling around, you can't play your own crutches. It drives you insane. And, you know, I really realized then, I'm like, "Man, I, I, I love this game. This is, this is fun. This is what I want to do. So I came back from that injury and had a great year. I, I finished second like every freaking week because I couldn't beat Matt Hill. um he won like every tournament that that year um you know i i I had a good year i was an all-american that last year it got me into a lot of those big amateur events i was you know i I didn't make the walker cup but i was at least in the conversations and you know so it really kind of fired me up to want to turn pro and give it give it a run um so we we did it and you know back then you had the hooters tour that you know, was in the Carolinas. I didn't have to travel a ton. It was great. You know, we, mm-hmm. we you could make a, a decent living and then save your money up and and go to Q school and see what you do there. But you know, that those those days are unfortunately gone. Those tours are mostly out of here now or you could make a good living on not a big big entry fee and, you know, so it was it was fun and I finally kinda got my career going and and went over to south africa uh for probably seven or eight years after i turned crow and had a great year but we had our second child in the middle of that season and, and just everybody always was like you'll know when to say when you'll know when and i'm like i'm never gonna say when like i'm mm-hmm. going until i make it yeah and got got on a plane to go play the european tour event uh seven days after my second child was born and I'm like, man, what are you doing? Like,
0: yeah, it, just,
1: it was that, it was that aha moment. Like, you know, I had a great season. I'd spent like $30 on airfare or $30,000 on airfare that year. Wow. So, you know, all the money I'm making on the golf course, I'm just chucking it right back to Delta because I'm flying back and forth to Africa and Europe because I, I, I want to see my kid and I want to see my wife. Sure. You know, and then, then, you know, once we had that second child, it was like, man, this is just not, not what it used to be. And uh, so I finished that season out. I played honestly pretty well. I missed about that week, obviously, because I had not slept for seven days. But um, <laughs> and you haven't slept you since. Know, I went back over there. <laughs> yeah, no, I have not. That is for sure, I have not. Um, I do when I get to travel and go play in tournaments. My poor wife; she never sleeps.
0: <laughs> uh, but
1: at least when I recruit and go to play tournaments, I can sleep. So. So yeah, I finished that season out, and we just—I we, had full status in in, uh, in Africa. I had pretty decent status on the European tour at that time, and my wife and I just—she's she was the number one supporter. I married way over my head. Uh, I got—I don't know how I got so lucky to to find her, and she was never going to say stop. Yeah, but. You know, we, we had that conversation of what do we do? And, you know, obviously I'm not going to move you and two kids under two to Africa. Right. Um, so, so I could travel, you know, from Africa to Europe and those sort of things. So we, you know, the backup plan was always college coaching. It oh really? What I, okay. wanted to do. I love it, it. It was, we had toyed with it three or four times in my career, uh, it was always the, the one thing I wanted to get into if I wasn't playing professionally. And, and just finally, it was that, that, that moment was like, okay, like I think this is time to really start pursuing the the second part of my life and uh, Where was the coolest so place that's...
0: you played, when you think back of that? There had to be some pretty cool places traveling the world like that. Great experience, but traveling with one or two kids, I can't imagine. I did Probably, it on the tour, which was easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it would have been impossible with kids. I'd say Cape Town, South Africa is probably, it's probably my favorite place I've ever been. Mm. Um, really good golf over there. Fancourt, too in South Africa. I mean, so I would, if I could live anywhere else in the world, it'd probably be South Africa. Wow. I absolutely loved it over there. Okay. Um, just the golf's incredible. It's their number one sport over there. So they are just, golf fanatics uh the golf courses are great you know it's safer than what you read in the newspaper i lived over there for a year and mm-hmm. i loved it but it is a beautiful country uh, obviously i like playing in europe dominican republic's hard to beat yeah the uh, teeth of the dogs probably my favorite golf course in the world uh, that was hard to beat i played some in south america that's some pretty cool Places in Colombia, Chile, uh, but I, I'd say Cape Town's probably that one takes the cake.
0: When you look back, who gave you your first start in coaching? You said you've always thought about it, but who gave you your first start? Was it a Colorado State?
1: Yeah, it was Colorado State. So uh, I'd say probably early August. I mean, it was getting down to the point where we—I—I I had already joined the European Tour and mm-hmm. the Sunshine Tour again basically thinking that I was going to be going back because I had just not found anything in May, June or July. And I'd say it's probably I was I was very it was very late July when uh somebody had said, Oh, well, hey, is gonna get the Colorado State job, you should call her. Um, so she she's the one that that opened the door for me in Colorado State, uh, which is a really cool spot in the in the mm. country too. Yeah uh Fort, Fort Collins is a fun town uh and then you know a few months later I get I get a call from Ole Miss and that's that's hard to turn down <laughs> for yeah. a southern boy to get back into the FCC uh you know so they they were they called and I, I so I was only in Colorado State for a very short time and uh and moved to to Oxford we packed up the Moving truck and moved from South Carolina to Colorado in, in August and then Colorado to Mississippi in January. So, my wife is, like I said, she's a rock star.
0: She's <laughs> like my very, they, they don't mind uh, the adventure. <laughs>
1: yeah, thankfully. It's, I think she's, I think she's adventured out. At uh, yeah. Point. We, we had just, we just built a house in Oxford and moved in in November. Oh, wow. And then we, we, and she loved it. Like it was, yeah you know, she got to put the finishing touches on it. She got to, you know, design some of the lighting and the, the stone, like the marble and all this stuff. So she, you know, this, this place was kind of like her little baby and she got to design some of it. And then I'm like, all right, so, uh, yeah. Um, how do you feel about packing everything up and moving again? Mm. So I think the I think she's over the adventure. I think she's ready to stay in one place for a little while. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I,
0: I think so. Yeah, uh, that 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 is a tough deal uh, for sure. But did you when you talked about coaching? Uh, you're coaching on the women's side, uh, and that that's always different. Of course, maybe that's why the good Lord gave you two daughters. Maybe that's part of it too. So yeah. Uh, but
1: well, and that's a big reason why I wanted to stay on the on the girls' side. Okay, you know, my, I want my kids to grow up. You know, in a locker room. Mm-hmm. I can't exactly put them in a locker room of a guy. No, no. Uh, locker room. <laughs> no, that
0: that wouldn't probably work. That wouldn't be a very good idea.
1: <laughs> no, no. Um, and I mean, they—they they, certainly at old Miss they were spending more time in the locker room than they were in Daddy's office, and it's probably going to be very much the same here. You know, so that was always something that we. When I first got into it, I had really decided I really wanted to go on the women's side because of having two daughters. Um, you know, I, I wasn't against the guy's side, but I was trying to pursue more options on the women's side. Uh, and I'm very happy with that decision. Now, five years into this, um, it's been very enjoyable. I I think, you know, the women's side, they want to learn, they want to work, they want to get better they listen. Uh, it, it is, it's just a fun group to get into cause they're, they're just so eager to get better and learn. Um, so it's, it's a really fun side to be on coaching wise. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and you know, my, my kids are, my kids are safe in the locker room. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know? Well,
1: I don't have to worry about what they might hear. Um, so it's, it's it's been a big reason why we we did it, and uh, I'm very happy. My daughters are learning from great role models.
0: Well, I think I, I've talked to Garrett Runyon, who you know at LSU. That was a big transition for him because yeah. he said the game's so much different. It would probably be for you too because you played yeah. at such a high level, and and he's you know because guys is. just go for things, and, and like he, yeah. I, he, you hit on a couple of things I think are so true that they want to learn and. They will listen. Yeah, they're gonna challenge you, but they want to learn. They're just they're so uh just much into learning and getting better. And it's fun to be a coach, I would think, when people are willing to listen and try to get better. And I think you're so good at it. I think that's part of it as well. But you you said you got to Oxford, which is a beautiful place. You all had some great success. You won an SEC championship, uh an NCAA championship. What was that like uh when you and Corey kind of turned that program around so quickly? And having that great success because that was a great run you're on. You all were on.
1: Yeah, it it, it was fun. I mean, we Corey is she had she had turned it around and got it rolling before I got there. And you know, I think maybe the fact that I had played professionally, I could teach them a few different shots. I could, you know, walk through what it's like to be five under and want to go to six under mm-hmm. instead of be five under and just want to stay at five under. You know, those little conversations that we had, I think, has really helped us go a little bit further. You know, Corey had had done so much by the time I got there. It was like, you know, geez, you were ranked 100 and what three years ago? How? Yeah. You know, how was that possible? (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, getting that short game facility that they got down there, I I walked in at a a phenomenal time because, you know, there's just so many things that you can teach around that. Short game facility of bump and run, to how to hit different shots, of how to short side yourself and get out of it properly and not make a big number. And, you know, so it was it was just a it was a fun time and, and they had a she had done a phenomenal job of recruiting the right type of players. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be great this year. I believe I really think they're going to be one of the best teams in the country. Uh, and you know, Corey and I still talk three or four times a week about our teams and it's a really cool relationship her and I built there. So, you know, I'm a I'm a Ole Miss fan, uh, unless they're playing us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well what what we what would you say you learned in those three or four years in Oxford that'll help you uh now at Purdue?
1: Yeah, she she's a great recruiter. Uh you know, I kinda learned her recruiting tactics. Not gonna Go too much into that because I don't want everybody else to know. No, no. But uh, you know, I, I just think that I learned a lot of how you know she she was great with team rules and and things that you know we have to abide by the, the rules. You have to carry yourself in practice the same way you want to carry yourself in a tournament. The same way you know, off the golf course, on the golf course, just just the way she had them following rules and and you know it, it, it was just it was awesome so I learned a lot of how to deal with things she was never one to let things fester she would hit mm-hmm. it head-on if there's an issue going on on the team hit that thing head-on and let's take care of it um, so you know those are little things that I could sit in on those meetings that's helping me now as a head coach of you know hey well, we need to hit this hit this hard now and not wait Um, and let it fester out of control because you spend a lot of time with these people. You need to like them. You need to love them. That's why, yeah, I think that's why that team won a national championship. They loved each other more than any other team in the country. Mm -hmm. And they had spent, you know, we'd spend nine months together nonstop. And at the end of that, they were still best friends going to nationals and not a lot of teams can say that, you know, there's always something going on inside a team that you don't know about sure that team loved each other and that team went to war for each other every day it's what you want to build like that's your dream scenario Mm -hmm. and she's she's done a great job of that and really passed on a lot of the the stuff that you don't see on the golf course to me of how to handle things and how to to you know earn their respect keep them you know, working hard throughout the year and keep them close and and liking each other enough to want to go to war for each other every day.
0: That's a challenge because think about and you you know you've seen it you've done it you've been in it. Uh, roommates are going at it for the last spot. I mean, David Thomas told a funny story. I tell this on almost every podcast because it's so fun to relive it. The two roommates are playing for the last spot. The other one wins. The guy that loses puts a big strip of tape down the middle of the room. He says, you can't cross the side of the room. And the guy goes, well, the bathroom's over on that side. He says, tough. You're going to have to go outside or go somewhere else. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but it could get to that point. But and I think that is chemistry is comes natural. But something you said I thought was very sharp is I think it's like raising kids like you're doing fair and consistency. Discipline will work. I think we've got of got away from that as a society. You've got to have some rules. you got to. you got to have boundaries. Uh, or you have chaos. What was the toughest part the year after winning? Uh, Was it personal expectations? Because that's always a challenge for whether you win as a professional or you play as a team is that next year we have these high hopes. What were some of the challenges?
1: Yeah, I think that team was so good at being the underdog. Yeah. They loved being the underdog. That just fed them in the locker room. It just – it was incredible. You know, I mean, Kennedy's like a little pit bull. Yeah. And she loved it. You know, Julia was the same way during that year. She would get so mad when people weren't given them the respect that they felt like they deserved. Mm-hmm. And it fed them weekly to drive harder. Uh, and then, you know, you reach that pinnacle. and It's like, whoa, well, we're not that underdog anymore. Yeah. Everybody wants to beat us now. I think it just took a little bit of time, and you know, we lost three starters. Essentially. True, you true, know, Smilla turned pro. Yeah. Kennedy left, and Ellen Hume was had surgery. So you know, we we went into that season thinking we only lost Kennedy, and two months into the season, we lost three of the five that were walking down the fairways at, at, at nationals, and that's what people. I think forget about it. Yeah, that's a big hit. When you think you're only losing one, and you lose three, and you know Ellen Hume shoots twenty four under, I think in the first qualifying for six rounds, hits it in a divot at the first event, tries to dig it out, and her shoulder reactivates, and she has to have surgery. Is so that how she like,
0: hurt? Is that how she hurt herself? Wow. Yeah,
1: it was just it was a totally freak thing. She hit it in a, a divot on the eleventh hole on the second round. Which was her second hold. And it was just like back how well, it was at SEC's year before. Mm. You know, that that girl has had the worst luck of anybody I've been around because of the shoulder. Yeah. And you know, now that she's had it surgically repaired, I think she's gonna come out gangbusters this year and, and dominate college golf. People don't understand how good she is because she hasn't, she hasn't been, been in that spot. Yeah. Yet. Exactly, and I'm telling you, she's probably one of the most talented people I've ever been around. Wow! So you lose those three players—that's a huge hit. And it's you know, Kiara and Andrea threw them on their back, but you know, that's a
0: lot of pressure on them. them. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's a lot of pressure on them. It's a lot of pressure on the new ones. Yeah, that were just coming in, thinking, well, this year I'm going to learn a lot and get better. Oh, by the way, you're in the lineup. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're you're playing for the defending national champion. And you better get going, right? Um, so it, it was just, a, you know, it was one of those deals in coaching. That there's nothing that I don't think there's anything Corey and I could have done differently last year. No, um, it just it kind of handed a tough set of cards, and we did what we could. And you know, I, I, it was really disappointing to not make it back there. I think that that was that was hard for them to to not get back there as a defending champion. Um, but they're, they're going to be, they They'll will be, be just year. fine. I can, I can almost guarantee you that you'll see them back there this year.
0: Yeah. So you get to, so you, what I noticed about you, do you tend to stay with maybe one player the whole round, or maybe I'm dreaming I, I saw that. Is that part of your coaching philosophy? What's your theory on that when you're out coaching? Do you stay with the one player, or do you go with whoever uh, if they need to sit on a par three? What's your coaching philosophy uh, going to be at Purdue now that you're the head coach? Honestly, kind of, you
1: know, I don't know yet. Yeah. I'm not one of those that's sad into, into... – one way of doing it because I think when you do that, then that just kind of pigeonholes you into to not having options. You know, I don't, I, if, if a player tells me she needs me to walk with her, I'm going to do my best to walk with her. If, if the team feels like they need a coach on a par three, I'm going to try to do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've got a great assistant coach here that played here. Um, she's got a good relationship with a lot of the older girls because she was on the same team with them she might be one that wants to go out, oh, hey, I've played 700 rounds of golf with Danielle. Why don't I go walk with her today? So, you know, I really don't know what we're going to do. You know, Ole Miss, you know, Corey and I kind of had our players that we were closer to and we worked better with, and we knew that. And and it took a little bit of time to figure out who worked better with who, and I think it's just going to kind of be the same thing for me here. It's just going to take me – You know, a semester to figure out if Lauren's better with this person or if I'm better with this person. And and we'll just kind of go tournament by tournament and figure it out.
0: What's it like to take over a program? You know, Devin was there for 25 years. You're coming in, the new coach. You've got the players. You're trying to get players to stay. What was that? What were some of those challenges when you first took over?
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, it's like any, any new job you got to figure out the schedule you got to figure out the clothes and you got to figure out the players you got to do it quick um you know so it it, it was you know we we changed the schedule around quite a bit in the spring and I wanted to get them into some stronger fields and some different parts of the country because you know the last thing you want is to get a regional and in in the desert you've never been to the desert or get a regional in Florida and you've only gone to Florida one time you know so I really tried to change the schedule around a bit. Um, So we changed the spring around quite a bit. uh, So we're all over the place.
0: Are you heavier in the spring or the fall on your schedule? Because a lot of coaches, and I I didn't really realize this, John Field says, you know, my kids are tired when they come in after the summer. So we're not that strong early in the fall.
1: Yeah, we don't play until late September. Okay. Uh, I've only got four in the fall and then I've got six in the spring. I, I like to hit the spring as hard as possible, just because I think if you start playing well and yeah. you get on a little bit of a run, you get six regular season events in the spring, and then you jump into postseason, you are very sharp. Um, so we're, we're doing four and then we're doing six in the spring.
0: You You talked about recruiting. You've done a lot of recruiting internationally. Purdue has had a, a lot of international flair. Uh, a lot of players from all over the world on their team. What's it? You know, you got a little bit behind in recruiting. Of course, that's the future of that. But what uh, what can you say about Purdue? You've only been there a few a month or so. What does Purdue have to offer? I know the the, the golf courses. Growing up in Indiana, I used to play those golf courses because they've right. been redone. Tell us about the facilities there.
1: Yeah, so we're you know the big draw for me here was how much they care about golf. You know I mean? It's not the case in a lot of places. You know, a lot of places care about your big sports, and they don't really care about the Olympic sports. and just go get your grades and stay eligible. Um, But here it was really apparent that they want to win and that they're passionate about winning. The golf courses are unbelievable. You know, you don't really get two courses you can walk from the dorms to. Uh, so you've got two great golf courses that are totally different. And then, you know, we've got a great practice facility on this private on the back of the range. And then we've got 10 indoor hitting bays. So obviously, yeah, it's old. Uh, we get that. So we've got 10 indoor hitting bays that you can, you can house both men's and women's at the same time. We've got a indoor putting green that's bigger than most, outdoor putting greens across the country uh, that, that we can roll it one way and get it rolling about a 10, and we can roll it the other way and slow it down just depending on where we, we're going the next week. Um, you know, the, the facilities are excellent, and, and they're putting in a $26 million new clubhouse. Wow. That will be hopefully ready uh, by regionals. The guys are hosting regionals in 24. So the goal is to have that ready uh, by that. By that time, it's going to have a private area just for the team. Uh, that's going to have a dining area for the team. We're going to have a new gym put in on the on the at the golf course. We just hired our own strength coach, uh, so he only works with men's and women's golf. That was a huge draw. That's for me. big time help. You know, you out. I felt like that's something that you know not. You know, I, I think Texas does it. Yeah. I don't really know if there's any other team in the country that does. I think Baylor uh,
0: Baylor may do that now. I know they do on the men's. I think Baylor may. They just started it though. That's unusual because that's where a lot of kids get hurt, don't you think? Because they've got coaches playing other sports.
1: And that's what you know. This 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 guy came from Duke. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. He's been a part of a lot of national championships at Duke, and you know, but he was not just golf at Duke. It was golf. But then he also had wrestling. He had baseball. He had tennis. His passion is golf. Okay. And he wanted to be just golf. And, you know, they approached him this year with the realignment of our programs of, Hey, you know, we can make this work and we can give you just golf and you can do what your passion is. Uh, so hiring somebody like Alex is just shows you the commitment that they have here to be great. You know, they, they, it to me in my interview of we don't want, it doesn't need to be a question in the Midwest anymore with who your team is if you want to go play high-level golf. Like, it should be Purdue, and then you start trying to find somebody else. Right. That's, that's their goals. Um, so, you know, hiring him was a big deal. He's, his big thing was, if I'm coming, I need a gym that I can walk to from my office. So, in that, that renovation of the clubhouse, they're going to renovate us a, a, a building that's already here that's being used more for banquets because they won't need it. Mm-hmm. They'll have banquet halls in the new clubhouse, and they're going to put a gym in there that they're going to let him design. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just such a cool thing that you can show a recruit and say, look, like, you know, let's talk about injury prevention for a second. You want right. to go somewhere that you're going to have somebody take care of your body? It's here. Alex is, is a trained professional in the golf world, that is going to make sure you're doing golf specific workouts to help you stay healthy and, and have a better base for your golf swing. Um, so it's a, it's a really cool thing that they're doing here. And, and, and I think something that not a lot of places we're going to offer. Um, so it's huge for recruiting. That's a game
0: changer. That's a total game changer. Big it time. It really
1: is. It really is. Uh, and, and they're, yeah, the goal with the facility—they want to host a USAM here. They want to host a tour event here. Like they have big goals at the on the golf side of things here now with this new pro shop going in and clubhouse going in. So you know, it's a really cool everything. All you you roll it all into one package, and it's like, man, this is this is almost too good to be true. And and they're you know all all of it's coming to fruition here, and and it's it's a great time for me to to get in here because it's uh it's gonna make me look good in recruiting in a a couple years
0: (laughs) yeah exactly well you then the big 10 a lot of schools have their own courses facilities that's kind of a cool part of it but talk about recruiting what are you looking for in a player uh, when you're out there for our our listeners like maybe the kids that are listening their parents you know what are some of the things you're looking for when you're recruiting players
1: yeah you know I, i don't always just look at scores and rankings. I look at the person. I look at, uh, you know, how they treat their families, how they treat officials, how do they treat, you know, if you snipe hook one left off a tee and an official's coming down there to help you drop and you bite his head off, well, that wasn't his fault that you hit it over there. That was your fault. You know, (laughs) how do you treat other people around you? Um, You know, so that's a big part of, of, you know, I really want the culture here to be like the culture was at Ole Miss. It took some time in Ole Miss to get that culture. I know it's gonna take some time here, but you know, I really care about the type of person that I recruit. Um, you know, I'm I'm I really don't have a area of the map that I'm circling that I'm only going to recruit. i I I'm thinking about taking some trips to Asia this fall. I'm thinking about uh, you know, maybe going down to South America. I've I've been pounding the ground here locally in Indiana.
0: There's a lot of good talent um, in Indiana now.
1: There's a lot of good talent that that I don't want to slip out of uh, Indiana. And so, you know, I, I care a lot about character uh, when I'm, when I am recruiting. So that's a big deal. I, I like somebody that's tough. I like somebody that you might double the first hole, but you get it back because you don't let it slip away from you. I and mean, you can settle yourself and keep a good attitude and keep grinding. So those are things that I really. So you're really looking for a Kennedy Swan
0: for. or a Julia Johnson type players. What yeah, you're saying?
1: You know, those, are, <laughs> those are, those are the goal. You, know, you don't, you can only find a few of those. Kiara is one of those yep. that, you know, if you could, if I could call her and Kennedy and Julia and, and bring them to Purdue, then, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to get good in a hurry. Uh, you know, just, just based on, The type of person, you know, you get somebody that wants to play at Purdue, that wants to get better, that wants to work hard. We're going to give you the resources here to be great. And it's just, uh, you know, just a matter of you as a person wanting to put the work in.
0: Well, one question I always ask my guests, I know you're busy, you got a qualifier, you got a lot going on. What separates that elite player? What makes that elite golfer elite? You've coached those elite players. You've played with Dustin Johnson. You've been an elite player. What separates that elite player from the rest?
1: Mindset. Okay. I think, you know, if you – if you I I tell everybody, look, in this qualifier, if you're going to just make the team, if you're playing to just make the team, you're probably not going to make the team. In my career – once i figured out hey i don't need to just go play to make the cut i need to go play to win you might not win every week but you made the cut and yeah. you, you gave yourself your chances on the weekends those those mindsets of not just i just i just want to make the lineup i just i just want to make the cut those are killer. you know that that's what trying to make the cut is going to make you miss the cut by two shots that's about all you're going to do is make the cut yeah yeah, that's yeah, good advice. You know, so, uh, you know, mindset of somebody that goes out and tries to win, that separates somebody. I mean, that was Dustin's thing. Like Dustin, you know, he would get in trouble. Uh, and he'd do something he wasn't supposed to. Our coach would get mad, and he would be like, all right, guys, well, I probably should win this week. I screwed up. <laughs> and he would go win. And it, it was the most unbelievable thing to me, and I didn't realize it until – obviously I got into my professional career and I changed my mindset around from just trying to make the cuts to trying to win. I'm like, Dustin went into every week and he thought he was going to win. That's why it was so good. Yeah. You know, it it just, it makes total sense, but it doesn't make total sense when you're 16 years old. No. Or when you're 18. No, a lot of things don't make sense then. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it was like, you know, like that aha moment for me. I'm like, Oh, well that's what he used to do. Why am I, Trumping around South Africa just trying to make a cut when I could go try to win.
0: Right. Right.
1: So I think mindset really, that's what separates the elite.
0: That's a great way to answer it. One last thing. How can the players or their parents get a hold of you? How can they find Zach Bird when they're trying to get uh, in touch with you to check out Purdue?
1: Yeah, social media is huge for me. Uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, obviously, my email is on the website too. Uh, but I'm, I'm a lot better with Social media than I am with emailing. <laughs> my uh, my assistant has learned that she's yeah. like just forward me all the emails and I'll handle the rest of that stuff.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: So, well, that's uh, how I that's yeah, how yeah, I kept yeah. in touch
0: with you for a while. You're right. You're big time on it. That's a yeah. big part of coaching now is is uh, social it media.
1: Is, it is. I never. I can assure you, ten years ago, I never thought I'd have an Instagram page. But, uh, me either. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, just kind of. Have to adapt with how the world's going, and, and uh, so now I've got an Instagram
0: page stuff. So. Well, I never so, dreamed yeah, I'd be doing a podcast really either from a closet in, in the well, state of Mississippi. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, things things are certainly changing, and you got to evolve or you get
0: run over. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us. I know you're busy. Good luck to Purdue. I know you said you start the end of September. Uh, get out there and get those ladies ready for the qualifier, and uh, we're going to keep gonna an be, eye on you. We look we're forward be down to
1: in your neck of the woods.
0: We come to Tennessee first. Oh, do you? Knoxville? Okay. I'll
1: be, I'll be I'll be calling you for some advice on those golf courses.
0: Well, you call me anytime. Well, I appreciate it. Good luck to you, and uh, thanks for spending some time with us.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, buddy. I'll talk to you. We appreciate Coach Bird spending some time with us. He's uh, one of the good guys in women's college golf. He's going to be very successful at Purdue. Uh, check him out uh, this season and see how he's going to get that program going in the right direction. And we appreciate you being with us today. As I always kind of like to end it, uh, uh, whether in golf or life, you may have only one shot. you got to make it count. And don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's available on Amazon, written by VJ Trolio, the teaching pro at Old Waverly Golf Club. And thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. And you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, I'm Jim Gallagher, and we'll talk to you later. What
1: were you thinking on that play? Take a lap when you come back, maybe you'll do things my way.